0: Welcome to NFL Live. We start with a developing story here regarding cheating allegations within the Arizona Cardinals organization. Adam Schefter, what more can you tell us?
1: Well, Laura, the former Cardinals executive Terry McDonough filed an arbitration claim today to NFL commissioner Roger Goodell alleging and accusing the Cardinals owner Michael Bidwell of cheating, discrimination, and harassment. It's a long, detailed Petition In which he spells out all the ways in which he believes Michael Bidwell has done wrong, including using burner phones during the suspension of the former Cardinals general manager Steve Kime during his suspension in which McDonough claims that Bidwell hatched a plan for all of them to communicate during Kime's suspension. Now, Michael Bidwell is countered by saying those claims are baseless by questioning Terry McDonough's character and obviously questioning everything that he raised today. Now, the arbitration claim went to Commissioner Goodell. The Cardinals have 20 days to respond to that petition that Terry McDonough submitted, and then Roger Goodell has the right to an arbitration hearing in which he could determine whether or not discipline is necessary in this particular case.
0: Yeah, Adam, in addition to the cheating allegations, McDonough also accused owner Michael Bidwell of workplace misconduct. What more can you tell us on that end?
1: Well, there are a lot of things here where Michael Bidwell essentially is accused by Terry McDonough of creating an environment in which he feels like he bullied employees and he had employees living in fear. He said that there was a survey done at one point in time to conduct essentially what was the workplace environment. And. McDonough claimed that Michael Bibble had that survey intercepted and canceled when he realized the majority of the employees were saying that they worked in fear of him. Now the Cardinals responded saying that that's not true. They've improved the workplace environment since then, but McDonough has been adamant all along that he's got emails, texts, and evidence of every charge that he submitted in that arbitration claim to Commissioner Roger Goodell today, and he even texted. Roger Goodell this afternoon saying, I have all the truth and it will all come out during arbitration.
0: All right. We should also note, Adam, that the Cardinals gave a statement to ESPN that called the claims, quote, wildly false, reckless and an opportunistic ploy for financial gain. Adam sticking around. Let's get Ryan Clark and Marcus Spears in here for some reaction. RC, we start with you. What do you make of the news that Adam just laid out? RC may not be able to hear us so let's go to Marcus first and then we'll get RC involved. Marcus, what do you make of what Adam just said?
2: <laughs> yeah, but the first thing I think about is all of the things that have transpired in the Arizona organization. Um, and obviously, every day we come on and we cover football. But I think about Kyler Murray's contract and that language being getting out about the clause in his contract. You think about Cliff Kingsbury and even Kaim getting extensions and then getting fired. So a lot of those things for us, when we sat in studio or we were wherever we were having discussions about the Arizona Cardinals, we thought that that was already disarray. Mm-hmm. And now something like this comes out, obviously about ownership. And look, the, the, there is a reflection, right? We we talk about I can't be remiss talking about Washington Commanders or other organizations that have disarray that absolutely shows up either on the field or we see hear, see and hear things throughout the course of weeks, month, months, and throughout the season. So. This coming to a head with somebody that worked within the organization speaking on the owner in a workplace environment, it's almost like it's hard to just be dismissive of it because we've seen crumblings of things that we probably weren't supposed to know about. So something internally has been going on in Arizona and the fact that this is coming out and the fact that the accuser It's saying that I have all of the facts and the information. This is very damning to the Arizona Cardinals organization, and and I'm interested to see how this plays out.
0: Yeah, again, Adam laid this reporting out so thoroughly. So if you want to get more of it, though, you can go to ESPN.com and find his article. RC, I believe you can hear us now. What are your thoughts?
3: Well, I think we've seen this before in the NBA, whether it was the Los Angeles Clippers, obviously across town, with the Phoenix Suns and you see that the NBA deals with these things extremely sternly. Marcus mentioned the Washington Commanders and the multiple reports we've heard of misconduct coming out of that building and the NFL hasn't necessarily dealt with owner Daniel Snyder and that organization in the way we've seen things handled in the NBA they haven't shown that the people come first and we know that there's a huge difference between the two sports the one is player driven uh, and one is fan driven whereas the NFL is about the owners. The commissioner, Roger Goodell, gets his contract renewed by the owners. And so in judging them and critiquing them and dealing with them, they've been a ton more lax than they are with the players. And now they have an opportunity to investigate this thoroughly, act swiftly, act sternly, and do the right thing by the people in that building. And so we'll see how they move forward with that.
1: Great point, RC. And you talk about the differences between the two sports. We've seen the NFL – be stern in its discipline with players and the rules are supposed to be that owners are held to a higher standard of conduct and the higher you go on the food chain the more responsible you are and the more responsibility falls on your shoulders if mcdonough can prove his accusations during this arbitration claim and if he has the evidence that he insists that he does then clearly there is going to have to be some action taken And in the words of the league, owners should be held to the highest standard in this particular case.
3: It is a privilege to own an NFL team. It's not just about how much money you can accumulate because you are a shrewd businessman. You're supposed to represent the shield at the highest level. As Adam says, if he can prove some of these things or all of these things through arbitration, I expect the NFL to deal with this in a stern way, but that has not been the history of the league, so we'll see what happens.
0: Again, this is a layered situation. The accusations are long. Adam has it all detailed online for you, ESPN.com, for more of his reporting. We've got a lot more coming your way here on NFL Live. So as we carry on, the Los Angeles Rams mortgaging their future to win in a Super Bowl, but was it worth the rebuild that we may see coming? Hear what Colts owner Jim Irsay had to say about that next and that trend in the NFL. NFL Live is brought to you by Burger King.
5: Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. It's really incredible
6: to watch Anthony Richardson play football.
2: He is a highlight reel waiting to happen every time he touches the football. Richardson gone
1: off. Deuces touchdown. Anthony Richardson is as rare a prospect as we have seen in years.
2: I'm able to do everything on the field.
0: Hey, we got a McShane Mock 4.0 today. It's a big celebration here. Uh, the rise of Anthony Richardson continues, right? But, Todd, take us through the first-round quarterbacks. Let's start with the Panthers selection at number one overall.
6: Yeah, This morning, Vegas had C.J. Stroud as minus 330 to be the first overall pick. And then I talked to Mortensen and he talked to Schefter, and they're saying that Bryce Young could be the first overall pick. <laughs> so go out there and bet your money now on Bryce Young. But I've got C.J. Stroud going. He fits what they've had. Frank Reich has had. In the past, 6'4 to 6'6 quarterbacks, pocket passer. He is the best quarterback in this draft, maneuvering and managing inside the pocket, and he is the best in terms of ball placement on all three levels. Then you've got Bryce Young. The magic man like his poise is so different from every other quarterback that you evaluate and really in the last few classes the way he feels things inside the pocket can move inside the pocket and then extend outside the pocket his QBR was 98.7 last year outside of the pocket. That's where he thrives. He was third in the FPS. So his ability to create and extend after the initial play is what makes him special. If he was 6'2, 220 we'd be talking about him as a lock at number one and he still could be. Then it gets interesting. Anthony Richardson, I'm going with the talent and the potential over the tape at this point. 13 games started, and it was a roller coaster. The peaks were high, the valleys were low, and made you want to turn off the tape at times. (laughs) But it was 6'4", 244, 443, 40-yard dash and just a loose upper body and the ability to flick his wrist and drive it 60 yards down the field, you don't get that kind of prospect that comes along very often. I think he could be Josh Allen if developed the same way Josh Allen could be, or was developed with Brian Dayball. Then Will Levis. I had him sliding a little bit. He's interesting. Again, Mort says he's still going top five. We'll see how that plays out. You've got India at four if they don't trade up. You've got Seattle at five as possibilities. But after that, I don't think Las Vegas is going to take a quarterback at 7. Then I had Tampa Bay moving from 19 up to 14 with the Patriots. Bill Belichick always willing to trade back. Will Levis has a lot of tools. He's got – he's heart, He's a tough guy. He's big. He's sturdy. He's strong. He's got a big arm. But there's a lot of little things in his game that have to be tweaked. And finally, Hendon Hooker made it into my first round. Five quarterbacks in the first round. I have a second-round grade on him. Does that system translate to the next level? He struggled against four-man pressures, but he's got a live arm. He got better every single season. He throws a beautiful deep ball, and he's got the mobility to beat you with his feet as well. He's coming off that ACL injury. So I think a team like Minnesota with Kirk Cousins, 35 years old, one year left on his contract, 23rd in QBR this past year, still struggling in big moments. This is a perfect opportunity for a young quarterback in Henning Hooker to come in at a low price, Give him a year in in terms of a bridge, and then he could be your guy for the next seven years if it pans out.
0: I love it. We're going to be on these quarterbacks all day long. And look at this line graph on Anthony Richardson. As it goes lower, that's actually better. That's closer to the top, continuing to climbing up the board in Todd McShay's mock drafts. Okay, the Gators quarterback was 11th overall pick in his first mock, and then he slid up to the ninth spot in mock draft 2.0. After the combine, Richardson climbed into the top five. Going fourth overall today, McShay has the Colts trading up to get him at third overall. In his mock draft 4.0, as he just detailed, we got the LSU boys here, which I think is really funny because we're going to make you guys start by talking about a Gators quarterback. And and listen, we'll get to the Tigers and the big win in women's basketball, the national champs. Okay, but RC first. Go Gators. (laughs) (laughs) What do you make of Richardson's continual rise up people's draft
5: boards?
3: Well, first of all, Laura, I'm surrounded by Gators. My favorite host of any TV show in the world is you, and you're a Gator. I'm with Channing and Fred pretty much every week of my life now, and they're also Gators. So I have a soft spot for you guys. But when you look (laughs) at Anthony Richardson, we expected him to be the star of the pre-draft process. We knew he could throw the football. We knew that you would see the athleticism, and those things have shown through. But I also think it helps that guys like, Trey Lance, with inexperience, were drafted number three. Mm -hmm. A dude like Josh Allen was drafted with some inconsistencies because of how talented he was. I don't believe that either of those two men have the physical ceiling that Anthony Richardson has. Now, he's going to take a lot. You're going to have to get him to understand the pro game, but I believe that he can grasp it because he's also intelligent. Anthony Richardson is a dude that you're going to take the flyer on because if you hit, it could be out of this world.
2: I'm about to do something I never do, but RC, a few weeks ago, when y'all were at the Combine, uh, he texted the group chat and said, look, when Anthony Richardson uh, performs at this uh, Combine, the talk is going to shift. And here we are. Todd McShay got him in the top five, damn it. The talk <laughs> yep. has shifted, right? So now now we get to the point where if, if you're talking about that Colts situation and them taking him it's two things that's important to me first Shane Steichen and obviously Mm -hmm. working with Jalen Hurts last year in Philadelphia understanding what type of offense you can put him in and kind of insulate him not only by play calling but using that athleticism Um, but the other part of this and and whether you call it negative or just looking at a different view Shane Steichen is a first-time head coach Ursay and this organization has been in a QB purgatory, as we've talked about so many times. How long do you have for development before the impatience sets in if this doesn't work out? I think the, I think the Indianapolis Colts are in a critical situation. They are, they, are, they are charged with determining if this guy is going to eventually reach his ceiling and be a top five player at the position in the league. Or if it's going to take too long, and you're gonna have a fan base screaming to either get rid of the head coach or find another quarterback, the yeah. Colts are in a, in a in a very interesting situation, man.
6: Yeah, they are, and don't forget Gardner Minshew right now would would be the day one starter. And so how long are you gonna ride day with one Gardner? Starter, yeah. Right? How long are you gonna ride with him, knowing that you've got Anthony Richardson on the bench? He's not ready to play. But, man, there's, just, there's so much to work with there. So, I'd, I'd rather see him, to be honest, in a situation like like in uh, Las Vegas with G- Garoppolo. So, you've got time. And you, there's not rushing him on the field because he's not yeah. ready. We all see that on the tape. He's not ready. But when you get him ready, if you get him ready properly, he's got a chance to be a star. Like a top mm. seven quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. He's got that much ability. Mm.
0: Yeah, the skill set is so tantalizing. It's interesting, too, because you do wonder, whatever team gets him, the value of maybe just developing some packages for him so that he can be out on the field a little bit, get his feet wet at the NFL level, and that versatility that he brings athletically makes that so possible. All right, while Richardson continues to climb up Todd McShay's mock drafts, we'll Levis is trending in the opposite direction, Okay, The Kentucky quarterback struggled significantly in his final season in Lexington, ranking 41st in QVR, last in sack rate, 60th in interception rate among 64 qualifying Power 5 quarterbacks, and to be fair, Levis was battling injuries last season. His play was better in 2021. There's so much to Levis. It's a layered situation. The tape is hard to evaluate. The old line was stinky. And the wide receivers were stinky. But, R.C., are you surprised <laughs> that Levis has dropped in recent mock drafts, knowing what you know about him?
3: Well, hell no, I ain't surprised that he dropped. They probably heard of some of his food takes. That's why he dropped. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Those are the ones stanky. You know what? If you look at Will Levis, it's difficult to evaluate his film if you go year by year. He played a lot better in 2021 than he did in 2022. And I think some people or a lot of people were hoping that he blew the pre-draft process out of the water the way Mm. we've seen Anthony Richardson do. He needed to be great in the board, on the board with some of these coaches, great in the meeting room. And then obviously you wanted to see that elite arm talent that we all expected him to have. I think some of those things have been hit or miss with Will Levis, and so he's fallen a little bit. If you remember, Laura, I said at the combine, I thought by the end of this, there would be a top three, and then Will Levis somewhere in the distance at four. That distance, if it's putting him at 14, that still isn't bad, and that gives him an opportunity to work himself into a franchise quarterback.
2: Yeah, I I love the fact that that you talked about that RC with him being that fourth guy. But here's the other thing, too. And it kind of alludes to what Todd just said in the overall arching conversation when you talk about the top three guys, perceivably, right? We've heard talk about Anthony Todd just said that he could, if you do it the right way, he could be a top seven quarterback in the entire league. Some people think that his talent and skill set, he could be a difference maker at the position. The one thing I'm not hearing is that about Will Levis. I'm hearing mm, strong right. arm. I'm hearing big body. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing ability to, to kind of get better in all of the things that were working against him at the University of Kentucky, but I'm not hearing that ceiling be lifted like these other three guys that we're talking about in the draft. Does that mean he should fall out of of the first round? No, we know how important the position is. And maybe with some time, Will Levis can become um, a more polished guy and get rid of some of those things that you see on tape. But ultimately, I think not only the narrative, but what you've seen from him tape-wise doesn't put him in that ideology that he's going to eventually be one of the guys that can rule the roost in the league while we talk about the other three with the potential to do that. And I think that's where you gain kind of the, the, the idea of who Will Levis is in this draft and trying to determine where he'll go.
6: Yeah, that, that's a good, good point, man. And I, I go back to a conversation I had pregame, and I think it was Kentucky Ole Miss with a, with a scouting director. And he said, you know, it's great that he has this mobility, Will Levis, but without pocket presence and without feeling where pressure's coming from and when your eyes drop, when you're inside the pocket and, and you're contained and you're not see- going through your progressions, that mobility becomes kind of a non-factor whereas Anthony Richardson will go through mm. progressions and take off and run when it's time to go. And you don't always see that with Will. Plus, I go back to 23 interceptions the past two years. You're talking the, yeah. that's the third worst among FBS quarterbacks, and the other two guys, Aiden O'Connell and Sam Hartman, had at least 300 more attempts. So, attempt per interception, mm. that percentage is off. Then you hear different reports from, from the interviews that he's had and kind of different behavior and, and just some different things that you hear that are negative. Not, not all the organizations I've talked to, but there have been a few. So, And then the, the social media, like, I don't want my quarterback to look like that. I want my quarterback to look like Tom Brady or to look like, you know, I, I want more flexibility in the upper body. He he's, have to, he's a bodybuilder. Like I no wonder why Brady. he's missing layups that. throwing the football. So, like, there's a lot of things to work through with Levis, and it's very difficult because his 2021 tape was a lot better. He's been in two pro-style systems. He's got the stature. He's got the big arm. But it hasn't all come together for whatever reason.
0: You know, we, we may feel no. this way about Will Levis, right? Some of the people here on the show, I but tune in like tomorrow and you got Mel Kuyper Jr. on here. He's going to be talking I about don't. all the great things that Will Levis does. So there are so <laughs> many sides <laughs> to all of this and two sides to every coin. We got a lot time more time. coming your way on NFL about. Live. <laughs> the first round prospect, Jalen Carter's agent, said he's not taking any meetings with teams outside the top 10. Hear why Marcus thinks that's restricting him and can do more damage than good. All right. I made you guys be quiet for too long. Let him hear it at LSU. Let's get it.
2: Go, Tigers. Hey, y'all know what it is over here? Ring us. Ring us. I remind
0: The NFL Draft, just 23 days away, April 27th, 28th, and 29th. We'll have every pick once again on ESPN. NFL Live will be there in Kansas City on Thursday and Friday for two-hour specials. And, of course, it's also available on NFL Network. ABC's coverage focuses on the prospect's journey to the draft. All three days also live on ESPN Deportes and ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. Back to McShay's mock draft, 4.0. We check in on defensive in uh, Jalen Carter out of Georgia. You can see him there, highlighted on McShay's draft. He's got Carter slotted at number five overall to the Seahawks. But here's a reminder, guys, of the timeline for Jalen Carter in recent months. On January 15th, he was present in Athens, Georgia, at the scene of a fatal crash that killed teammate Devin Willock and Georgia staffer Chandler LaCroix. On March 1st, Carter left the NFL scouting combine and returned to Athens to turn himself in after being charged with reckless driving and racing. On March 15th, he participated in Georgia Georgia's Pro Day, but couldn't finish the position drills due to conditioning. Then on March 16th, Carter was sentenced to 12 months of probation, a $1,000 fine, and 80 hours of community service after pleading no contest to both misdemeanor charges. Adam, we start with you. How have Carter and his agent dealt with the interview requests in the final weeks leading up to the draft with teams?
1: Laura, his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, has told teams that Jalen Carter will not be visiting teams who pick outside the top 10 picks because they don't believe that he will be there and they believe that he is a top 10 pick and will go in the top 10 picks So so far the only two teams that he has visited are the Philadelphia Eagles who picked number 10 and the Chicago Bears who picked number nine and that gives you an idea of the range that Jalen Carter who once was regarded as potentially the top prospect in this draft by none other than Mel Kiper has a chance to go so his agent and Jalen Carter are betting on the fact that he will be a top 10 pick, so much so that they've told the teams outside the top 10, Jalen Carter's not going to bother visiting because he's not going to be around, in our opinion, at that point in the draft for you to pick him.
0: Yeah, it's important, as Adam points out there, the strategy of the agent, a very big piece of that. But Marcus, do you like that plan of attack for Jalen Carter?
2: Well, first of all, who in the hell am I to question Drew Rosenhaus, the man that made $100 billion <laughs> negotiating contracts in the NFL. But I, I just don't particularly like this 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 ideology of going uh, forward like this. It's so much movement on draft day as well, and you never know what type of impression you'll make on guys that may get jobs further down the road when you're looking for a second deal if you've played well Throughout the current situation and having kind of that recall with you and some visits. Those are some things that I would have thought about, but who the hell am I? Like I said, here's what I do know. Jalen Carter on the football field is a top five, if not top one draft Mm. pick in the league. He is dominating games. And you guys know that I've been on this about how interior pressure is starting to become the most important thing in the NFL. When you start talking about trying to stop these prolific quarterbacks and offenses with these guys path to the quarterback, he is a dominant force. Obviously, it doesn't look great that he didn't finish the combine with conditioning, but he finished all them damn games and all that tape. I didn't watch that Georgia. He finished all them dudes that was trying to block him that was standing in front of him. So from a football context, I think everybody is comfortable with that. And Jalen Carter, now that these issues legality wise have been resolved, I think teams now can put a picture together of how this is going to go. So I do expect him to go top 10. I just would have met with people outside of that personally.
3: I expect him to go top 10 as well. And I think the talent and what's on the film uh, should have him in the top five. But that's not the problem. We're having this conversation because Jalen Carter has character concerns, and I'm one of those guys that I don't like to pile on a young kid, but if you are Drew Rosenhaus, and you understand this, and you've been in enough drafts, you've never seen a team move up into the top ten, you've never Mm -hmm. seen a team move up into the top five to draft the prospect, if you are a guy who has character concerns, why would I ever give anyone another thing negative that they could say about me? What are they saying about me at UGA? What are they saying about me in different rooms that circulate the NFL. These GMs, these executives, if they're going to put a top five pick or a top ten pick on you, they want to know that you can finish out a contract of four or five years. They want to know that you can be the type of guy to have the sort of character that goes in the locker room that makes them want to give you a second deal. And if it's the greatest job interview of my life, I'm leaving no stone unturned. Hmm. I do not like the fact that he isn't interviewing in the top ten. That's my opinion. And unlike Marcus, I'm not going to say that my opinion doesn't matter because I believe we've seen enough football to know.
0: Both of your opinions matter a lot to everyone, not just people on this show. Todd, you have Jalen Carter slotted at number five overall in your latest mock going to the Seahawks. We've seen him taking all these pictures with these quarterbacks. They've been in all the pro days, but why is he a fit there for you?
6: I mean, Seattle loves defensive linemen. They, they're, trying to get, they're trying to get bigger, more physical, and, and aggressive up front. And listen, this is going to come down to John Snyder, the GM, who had a, a, the best draft of any, of any team in the league last year and did it with a lot of high-character guys, probably having a, a, some real conversations with Pete Carroll, who has a history of trying to bring in guys like this that have some character baggage, but he sees the talent and thinks that he can manage them within the program. So here's the bottom line. There are some, there's football character, there's personal character issues. And I was told a long time ago, and and, I, and it rings true, that when you get to the NFL, you have more free time, more money, and more fame than you've ever had before. And so past behavior is an indicator of the future. And you get all those things wrapped up in the NFL. I worry about his future. I worry about him and how he's going to carry himself. But talent always trumps the character issues, as long as they know you're going to be on the field. And with a one-year uh, probation, he's going to be on the field. And so you look at it now, Seattle at five, Detroit at six, Las Vegas at seven, Atlanta at eight, nine Chicago, 10 Philadelphia. You're talking about six teams from five to 10 that all could use Jalen Carter. There's no chance he gets out of the top 10.
0: Yeah, to your point about the talent mattering as much as it does in this league. Over the last two seasons, Jalen Carter recorded the third most pressures of any interior defensive lineman in the FBS. He was dominant, no doubt. Coming up, the quarterbacks have been getting all the love in this year's draft class, but are there some names at wide receiver we should be looking out for? Todd's going to give us some good ones next. You don't want to miss this. We'll be right back. More NFL Live on ESPN.
2: We got to do it again. We got to do it again.
4: Download ESPN Bet today. What a play.
5: Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
0: The XFL is back with doubleheaders on Saturday and Sunday. The Vipers squaring off against the Battle Hawks, then the Renegades taking on the Guardians. Coverage begins at 1 Eastern on ESPN and ESPN Deportes, and Sunday afternoon it's the Brahmas and Roughnecks on at 3 Eastern on ABC, followed by the Defenders and Sea Dragons on ESPN2. Let's read and react a little bit to some news around the NFL this week. We start in Dallas where the Cowboys are working out two potential first-round wide receivers this week. Boston College wideout Zay Flowers worked out for the team yesterday while Tennessee's Jalen Hyatt, the 2022 Bolitnikov winner, is meeting with the team today. Yesterday, Matt Miller telling us that Jalen Hyatt is a comp to CeeDee Lamb. Marcus, you like the idea of the Cowboys using a first-round pick on a wide receiver?
2: I do boogie, you know how long I've been asking for perimeter help in Dallas. I've been trying to get every damn receiver that's become on free agency since 2020. So for these guys to go out and try to draft somebody to put opposite the CD Lamb and try to have some explosivity outside of him. We saw that come to head when they played San Francisco. Tony Pollard went down. CD was the only guy that they could rely on. Go find you another playmaker opposite of him and try to get a little bit more explosive on the perimeter of this offense.
0: Next up, Pittsburgh, where last year's first round pick, Kenny Pickett, is gearing up for year two. Pickett said, quote, there are so many things I'm going to go through here in this offseason in order for me to take that big jump in year two, which I'm expecting myself to do. There were so many new things coming in this year that you can't even put into this one interview and you're going through as a rookie quarterback in the NFL. I got so much more comfortable from the first day I walked in here to the last day of the season. It's like night and day. RC, what do you want to see in year two from the Steelers QB?
3: You, know, you want to see more consistency from Kenny Pickett when you look at what he was able to do toward the end of the season, especially late against the Raiders, late against the Ravens, leading those fourth quarter comebacks. You want to see Kenny Pickett produce like that throughout the first three quarters, and I think as he gets more comfortable with this offense, more comfortable with the playmakers around him, that's exactly what he'll, what we'll see. I expect him to take that jump as well.
0: RC, we heard you, but put your mic back on. All right, then there's Los Angeles, where the Rams followed up their Super Bowl title by missing the playoffs in 2022 Colts owner Jim Ursay was not necessarily a fan of how L.A. went about things in recent years he said quote there was an article recently saying the Rams mortgaged their future and now they're paying for it after they won the Super Bowl and had all that success with the draft picks not being there to me that's what you have to be careful about so Marcus you have any issue with how the Rams built out their roster in recent years.
2: Uh, no, I do not. Listen, you pay the price, right? And the price is a Super Bowl. Boogie, I played nine years. I wish I had one. I wish the mm. team would have sold out for me to get one. I wouldn't mind them sucking right now. I played for the Cowboys. <laughs> we ain't won a Super Bowl in 100 years. <laughs> All right? I would take one, just one. And the Rams were able to get to the mountaintop. And it ain't like this organization was abysmal before they actually got it done. Mm. They saw a path previous to winning the Super Bowl that they were close. And they believed that. So they went out and got Matthew Stafford, which they thought was the turning point, yeah. signed Odell Beckham Jr., and they got a Super Bowl championship. They have a Super Bowl championship, okay? Nobody's going to ask Aaron Donald about how do you feel about when Baker Mayfield signed with your team the year after. They're going to ask him about the damn Super Bowl. I love what the Rams did. They got to go through some pains before they get back on their feet, but I'll take a Super Bowl for that. It's a lot of
3: teams that we've seen rebuild. It's a lot of teams that have had to rebuild that don't have championships. You ask the Los Angeles Rams, do you care that you're rebuilding now? Absolutely not, because you have a Super Bowl ring. Think about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and what they'll be going through. You think they would go out and do it all over again to have Tom Brady in that 2020 Super Bowl win? Absolutely. It is so difficult to even get to a Super Bowl, let alone win one. There are only two teams that have six Super Bowl championships and that's because the New England Patriots absolutely lost their minds in this millennium and the Pittsburgh Steelers. It is a difficult task to put a team together that's competitive each and every season. But if you just win that one time, you've now given your organization, you've given your fan base exactly what they want, a chance to sit atop the top of the mountain. And if you don't get that, then you're just playing. And so I love what the Rams did. I believe more teams need to do it and
2: you just have to cash in when you take that shot.
0: You know, I like that we Boogie. Yeah.
2: You you don't think I would have loved delaying some damn confetti? I know. R.C. And, and give the impression that I was that. passed out like R.C. <laughs> you don't think I would have loved to do that at one point and, and not worry about how to, if the Cowboys were good in 2023? I would have loved to do that. Okay. Shoot, you that, that's, you would have looked you would
0: great in that confetti. I, I also say I would also like Man. to point out the roller coaster that we take R.C. on on this show because we went from the low of lows of him trying to find his microphone on the floor like when. I dropped my lunch yeah, on the floor, you know. and it's the five-second rule <laughs> to the high of highs of showing him winning Super Bowls.
2: <laughs> I didn't even know. I'm
0: you, man. man. I'm telling you. All right. That's what happens here on NFL Live. You don't want to miss it. When we come back with the Ravens trying to do everything to keep Lamar Jackson, would signing Odell Beckham Jr. be enough to keep the former MVP in Baltimore? Here why Marcus thinks the bridge is already burned. And look at this. The NFL Live family got bigger this week. Our associate hey. producer, John Duke. <laughs> And his wife, Allison, welcome a Baby Boy Into the World Yesterday, John Michael Look at Zupon III. Hey, we're calling it. him Jay-Z-3 up in here. Congratulations to the Zupons! Congrats. Zupons! Yay. Glad you're with us on NFL Live. Todd McShay's latest mock draft now available on ESPN+. Plus. Go check it out. Lots of detail in there. But that means we're to put Todd on the hot seat. Todd, I hope your seat's warm enough over there. We're going to grill you with some questions we have surrounding your picks. Marcus, take us away. Go ahead.
2: Go. Todd, I saw Paris Johnson, offensive tackle from Ohio State. Loved the athleticism. Got them thin ankles. You know he can move and get back. <laughs> How comfortable are you <laughs> if they don't have to give away this 13th pick with him uh, protecting the blind side of Aaron Rodgers? And we know they uh, they bet, they hedging, hedging all their bets on trying to make a deep playoff run and get to a Super Bowl. A rookie left half.
6: Yeah, I know. It, it's scary because of the inexperience, obviously, in the transition from college to the NFL. But what are your options? I mean, Mekhi Becton can't finish a game. You know, you, you brought Elijah Tucker's a great garb. He had injuries last year. I mean, you go down the line, injury after injury after injury. So, you're, you pick a 13, and I think this is going to be very important that they keep this pick because it could be Peter Skaronsky from mm. Northwestern. It could be Paris Johnson Jr. <coughs> it could be Broderick Jones from Georgia. So, there are three legitimate left tackle starters in the NFL coming out in this draft, and I think the Jets' sticking point has got to be keeping that 13th pick so they can finally groom their starter at left tackle moving forward.
0: Yeah, you can tell they really want to hold on to that 13th pick, and I don't blame them. RC, you get to grill Todd
3: now. Hey Todd, you know you last got your year we now. knew the <laughs> I got the mic on now. Yeah, you made me look down. I was confused. I was a little bit nervous. Hey, you know, last year we knew about Drake Drake London, uh, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams. Yep. We knew we'd get a run on wide receivers early. It doesn't seem that it'll be this this way uh, in this year's draft. Of these wide receivers, once we get on a run, which one has the talent to become a star in the NFL? Well,
6: we've gotten spoiled the last few years, RC. I mean, you mentioned the four from last year, Jamar Chase. Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith the year before 2020, Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, Justin Jefferson. We're talking about pro bowlers to future pro bowlers and some Hall of Famers potentially. So it's not that class. But Jackson Smith and Jigba is the most instinctive, best route runner of the group coming out of Ohio State. Didn't play this last year, but in 2021 he had over 1,600 receiving yards and was an absolute star. And when you asked Alave and, uh, and Garrett Wilson last year who's the best of the three, they pointed at to JSN. So, mm. he's going to be the first one off the board. But a guy I've fallen in love with, Zay Flowers. I went back to BC during August camp and talked to head, their head coach, and, and they, had, they were just raving about it. the Energizer Bunny, the way he brings energy to everything he does. He's put on weight. He ran in the 4-4s. Four he's going to be a dynamic weapon at the next level. And I don't think he gets out of the top 25.
2: Yeah. Todd, I wanted to ask you about Zay who who is your comp for him I've been struggling trying to figure that out
6: yeah I mean you could go you could go Jalen waddle you know I, I don't know if he has quite that's that speed I... but Jalen like a slot guy who can who can separate and catch and for not the biggest guy he can catch in traffic and then create after the catch as well yes. so that's somewhere in that neighborhood I yeah. think.
0: You know, the Ravens are interesting in this draft. They've got that 22nd pick in the first round, Todd. You have them taking Quentin Johnston out of TCU, another receiver that we like here on the show. What's your idea around their draft plan? So much of it in flux in a lot of ways because we don't know exactly what's going on with Lamar Jackson.
6: Yeah, I mean, I've got Hendon Hooker going one pick later, the Tennessee Mm. quarterback at 23 to the Vikings. And I'm not saying that, you know – If they know they're not getting Lamar back, then obviously that could change the plans. Tyler Huntley, very likely, even if it was Hendon Hooker, who's coming off the ACL in November, is going to be the starter if if Lamar's gone. So I think personally, they're going to wind up taking the best player, at probably wide receiver or a couple other positions. But wide receiver, they, they need weapons. They've got a new offensive coordinator coming in from Georgia. They want to take more shots vertically. They don't have consistency at that spot, no matter who's at quarterback. So they've got to hit on a wide receiver, whether it's bringing in a veteran or, or drafting using that 22nd overall pick.
0: All right, so let's live in the world where maybe they bring in a veteran. Maybe it's not – it's in addition to drafting somebody. Adam will bring you in on this too. Todd, pointing to the draft as a potential place for Baltimore to grab a wideout. But what about their interest in Odell Beckham Jr.?
1: Well, it remains there, Laura. They've been talking to Odell Beckham Jr. They met with him one week ago in Phoenix at the NFL owners meetings. And there's a continued dialogue – between them and Odell Beckham Jr. Now the question becomes, what does Beckham want to do? Because he's talking to the Jets, he's talking to the Ravens, he's talking to the Rams, and ultimately I think right now he's waiting to see if and when Aaron Rodgers is traded to the New York Jets. If he's traded to the Jets, the Jets become a more appealing option for Odell Beckham Jr. If he's not traded to the Jets, at some point he's got to make a decision here about what's best for his future. And do the Ravens step up enough to go get him and secure his services? So, These are the issues that are just percolating and will continue to percolate up until the draft. If and when we get the Rodgers trade, maybe we get more clarity on a lot of other issues, including the future of Odell Beckham Jr.
0: Yeah, Marcus, are all these wide receiver rumors making you believe that the Ravens are trying to make it more enticing for Lamar to return?
2: Uh, Yeah, the correct TV vernacular would be this is not. uh, I'm from Louisiana. I'm country. This ain't got nothing to do with Lamar Jackson. Okay. (laughs) This is about Todd Monken and what Adam alluded to about trying to progress this offense. Boogie, we've been talking about on NFL Live for a long time about trying to evolve this offense and find some semblance of a passing game because everybody felt like it was holding them back, even with Lamar Jackson, at quarterback, the type of system that they ran. So Odell Beckham Jr. would do a lot for that. And Todd Munkin and his idea of what he wants to do. We saw him with Stetson in Georgia. We saw the way that they were able to create a vertical passing game. Stetson was a guy that nobody thought could could do what he did in the championship run two years back-to-back in big games. So it makes sense. But this is about the Baltimore Ravens offensively, philosophically, and having a new offensive coordinator. This ain't got nothing to do with Lamar Jackson.
3: Well, the good thing for Todd Munkin is, and now moving to Lamar Jackson, if he's still there, his quarterback will be the exact same age as Stetson Bennett was in college. (laughs) So that part is good. I think when you look at what they want to do in the wide receiver room is this. Todd Munkin got in that building and said much to that organization like Nick Saban told us when he came to LSU in 1999 – Y'all don't look like a football team. Y'all don't look like y'all can get it done. And that's exactly what he felt about that wide receiver room. The proof is in the pudding. They have no outstanding outside targets. You have no one that can be a go-to guy in the moments in the game where you need clutch catches. Who's going to come up big on third down other than Mark Andrews? Rashad Bateman has battled injuries. And so for the Baltimore Ravens, it's about just improving the productivity in that room. It's not about enticing Lamar Jackson.
0: Todd, let's say that they do end up going with Hooker because they feel like they're going to lose Lamar Jackson or something like that. Is there another receiver or a couple of guys we should look out for in later rounds that would make the Ravens' offense better?
6: Yeah, I think there's some bigger receivers. You look at Cedric Tillman from Tennessee. He had the injury this past year, only played five games, but the previous season had a breakout year and was a star for the Vols. And Jonathan Mingo is another guy, big receiver, 6'3", 220 pounds, ran in the 4'4s, four ran a four-four-six at that size, and is a big slot receiver who can get down the field and win a lot of 50-50 battles. So I think it's a combination of whether it's size, speed, or a combination of both. They need someone who can stretch the field, and when the ball's up in the air, go up and get it. Yeah. And they, they just haven't had that guy consistently with the Ravens in as long as I can remember.
0: Yeah, Mingo played in a creative <laughs> offense, too, at Ole Miss. We're going to let Todd run here as Don't he's front it. and center on the Sports Center Special, top of the hour over on ESPN2. Mel Pepper oh, Jr., Chris Mortensen, Field Yates, joining fun, Todd man. this entire two-round mock draft. Thanks to Todd. Don't miss that. He's already for- <laughs> watching it. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's got it oh, loaded up. Time for <laughs> one more thing before we go. What an accomplishment, guys, for Joe Burrow. He was named best Cincinnatian for the first time. He knocks off Fiona. Of the hippo from the Cincinnati Zoo, ending her five-year oh, run Fiona. atop the rankings from the readers of City Beat. Fiona, Fiona, sorry.
2: What, what, what happened to Fiona? What did what, what Fiona John do Monroe to get knocked off better. the top of the list?
3: <laughs> what did she do? <laughs> beat this is a hypocrisy.
2: Sorry,
0: Fiona, we here. still love you. We'll see you tomorrow on NFL Live.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh.